Nor Norwegians love sausages, barbecue sausages. I love sausages. Who doesn't love sausages? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Fine Food Podcast with me, Sam Wilkin. So we're back in Bergen, Norway. It's the day before the World Cheese Awards and the cheeses are still being laid out. Not everyone's arrived yet and straight off the plane I've had the chance to chat to Tim from Whole Isteri who creates some delicious goat's cheese and I was lucky enough to sample some of his delicious produce. My name is Tim Reidla Stenberg and uh, I'm from a small town called Hur. It's middle of Oslo Bergen on top of the mountain there. I'm a cheesemaker for my parents' business. We're goat farmers and um, the town is like 650 meters above sea level. It's not that high but because of the location it's really hard for weather. In winter time we keep them inside because yeah. um, it wouldn't be fair to them to keep them outside in that, uh, that weather. Uh, and we, we run a summer farm in, in summer times and that it's like 1,242 meters above the sea level. So it's the, it's the highest, highest, highest summer farm with uh, cheese production in Norway. So I feel, I feel like if I was Norwegian I should immediately know what you mean by a summer farm. Yeah, that's don't. the thing. I don't, I don't have the proper English word for it. Okay. Because, uh, because in Norway we have traditions that you, you down in your town you have your proper farm mm -hmm. where you run everything and that's the farm. And then traditionally in our area we have uh, four locations. So when spring comes we move the herd over to another farm. Further out in spring we move them higher up in altitude. We've got another farm up in a forest. And then when the proper summer sets in, then we move all the way up to the last farm. And that one is that, one is that high that it's, uh, we move up when snow goes away and we move back down when it starts snowing. And that's rarely, it's three months. So it's a little bit like the alpine approach yeah, to it's, farming. It's uh, exactly like the alpine. Right, <laughs> but, but you call it a summer farm. So in Norwegian, yeah, what's the word? We, we, have, we have different words, different dialects. So uh, in, in my area, it's uh, Stirl. Further, uh, further east, it's uh, Seter. In Norway, cheese has been made like up in summer farms, Stirl, uh, and, um, and like hidden away from the big cooperatives. And because uh, we, we had the law after Second World War that you're not allowed to keep your own milk. Everything has to be delivered and distributed among the people as a fair uh, communism state. But uh, now it opened up and now we can show ourselves much more and be proud of what we're doing. So I'm, I'm fourth generation in my family, professional milk boiler. Right. So. But, but, your, but so how long have your family been making cheese? Is that, is that proper cheese? Well, so <laughs> interesting. You, you said that you've, you've persuaded your mum and dad to, to start making white cheese, perhaps for the listeners at home, a little differentiation between white cheese and... Brown cheese, yeah. Yeah, because uh, for me it's hard because I started with brown cheese and we call it brown cheese in Norway and white cheese to distinguish mm. the colours. Uh, so, so for you it will be, uh, be uh, cheese and uh, getost because ah, okay. it can be made from pure whey, some make it from whey and cream, some add some milk inside and some is making it from only milk. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's different, different ways to do it, but uh, the thing that is common with them all is that it's boiled and reduced. Right. So it's just vaporized and caramelized. It's a chemical reaction between the carbohydrates and uh, amino acids, I okay. think. 
Yeah, so it's it's basically a caramelization process yeah. of the lactose, making it a paste, and then it's the trick to make to boil it the best. <laughs> and this is the association that we have in in the UK with Norwegian cheese is Yetos, basically. Yeah, that's what we always think of when we're talking about Norwegian cheeses. But obviously, like anything, <laughs> there's a lot more to it than than just just one you know the UK is not just cheddar for example yeah you, you you've brought some cheeses with you today to have a little look at yeah is that possible because you were saying that in terms of the cheeses that are represented here at the world cheese awards what is it 10 percent of all the cheeses in Norway come from not just your area but your your town your, yeah your... in this competition is uh, is 10 percent of the Norwegian cheeses is from my hometown so we got 17 of 175 cheeses is from my town. We're we're mainly two we're mainly two cheese producers mm. that makes cheese all year round in my town. Uh, I'm one of them. So, but I focus on on uh, pasteurized cheeses and mainly it's been brown cheese because the brown cheese is boiled, so it's mm -hmm. dead. And uh, and Gouda inspired cheeses. And then uh, my neighbor, three kilometers. I don't know how much that is in Britain. Not very far, probably a <laughs> Not, couple of miles. Yeah, you can you can walk walk yeah, to him happily. Uh, he focused on on uh, unpasteurized raw milk cheeses. Okay. So he got a, a lot of uh, washed rind cheeses, soft and hard, Gruyere inspired. And, oh wow! And both of us have a same type of matured cream cheese. Okay. So he make a unpasteurized one from goat's milk, and I make a pasteurized one for goat milk. This is goat milk cheese. Uh, Gouda uh, production inspired. And what um, age is this cheese? Uh, 17 months now. Okay. Or, or 18. Okay. So it's uh, it's been stored for a while. This one is made from uh, from um, the the spring milk, so it's, it's still inside the barn with uh, controlled feeding. Mm. But my father is really good with feeding because he, he uses this food mixer hay balls and we use some whey from the production and okay so we mix a lot to try to adjust taste on, on it's incredibly uh, rich thank you norway has done a tremendous job on on cleaning out goat herds in norway to get rid of some diseases that really made that goaty taste come okay. forth so we we don't have those diseases anymore so the goat milk in norway tastes milk but it's very creamy and 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 yeah as, as it kind of breaks down in your mouth it's super creamy but it's it has got that kind of slightly like minerally tang, you yeah. know, that you get with goat's cheese. It tastes yeah. a bit cleaner somehow. Yeah. I hope you got a little bit goat taste after 17 yeah. months. What yeah. conditions are you maturing them in? It's a big open room. Okay. <laughs> Hand turning and... Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I don't have full control over my storage because right. I don't have a climate uh, system. So it's uh, watering the floor and... Uh, Trying to trick my uh, my air condition to lower the temperature in summer times. Yeah, right. So yeah, it was a struggle this summer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, did you have a very hot summer here as oh, well? Yes. It was, it was terrible. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, uh, that's hard, isn't it? Because actually, for the rest of the year, I mean, in many ways, there must be times in the year where it's almost, you know, colder than you'd hope it would be for. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, because two days ago I went into my cheese stores just to check how everything was because mm. I wanted to keep like 12, the 10, 12 degrees yeah. is nice for me. And when I came down, there was seven. So uh, then I have to start like trying to heat it back up. <laughs> and you're just using like a little standing heater. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I got heating cables in the floor, but I'm so afraid of using them because they will heat too much. And okay. Use some hot water to spray instead of cold water when I'm. Um, so it's uh, so it sounds like you do. It's a much more kind of um, 
hands-on instinctive approach because you were saying you know to actually turn the cheese facility into what you have now mm. you know it would normally cost well i'm going to say in pounds around 200,000 ish yeah but actually you did it for a fraction of that because you did it yeah we did it ourselves you didn't bring in a contractor and you just you just you just built your new cheese room yeah yeah because it wasn't the first one i built though <laughs> okay no, did you build for someone else you, no i built uh, at first when i came back home to my parents i first built uh, for brown cheese production i had to finish that area and then for meat cutting because okay. we're also doing that <laughs> yes i saw that you do is it cured goat's meat as well as sausages yeah we have we have goat kids Fresh meat and, and sausages. Nor Norwegians love sausages. Barbecue sausages. I love sausages. <laughs> Who doesn't love sausages? <laughs> and then uh, we do uh, cured legs and sausage from goats and we sell fresh goat meat. That's also kind of interesting for a Norwegian that's not used to any meat with taste. <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? We, we eat a lot of like chicken and pork. It doesn't contain very much taste and we eat a lot of lamb. So we're used to that wool taste. Okay. But when you get to goat, it's more distinct. It mm. it punches you harder. <laughs> yeah. But are you finding that? Is that just a cultural shift? Are you finding that? I guess part of it going to a farmer's market is educating the consumer a little. Yeah, bit. it's a lot about educating. Because mm. uh, uh, Norway, after like oil wealth, was like powder food, and because uh, sure. we had powder soups and frozen pizza, was what we lived for, uh, lived on for forty years. And then suddenly comes a new revolution with food. But it's not a new revolution because we, we, only, we only start making more of the, of the traditional food in Norway. <clears throat> so there's essentially a, a revival. Yeah. Yeah. And how long, how long, I mean, how many years has that been happening? Because we talked briefly beforehand about the World Cheese Wars in 2016 mm. uh, and the impact that that, that, that had had. I, I can say for, for, for brown cheese, uh, my grandpa sold a lot in the 80s and then in end of 80s it fell okay and uh, then for the 90s and 2000s it was quite terrible because my father started going to farmers market in 2003 and he didn't the first five years he didn't get enough money to pay the gasoline back home <laughs> wow. so he paid to go there to show himself but from like 2013 we have had a really steady growth in in sales and income now, now we're at the stage that we, we produce everything we can and it's still not enough. And that's wow. only for the brown cheese history. <laughs> oh, really? So, yeah. And the white cheese, you've not been making very long. That's your kind of, that's yeah, your the, input. Yeah, the white cheese input. is like fifth year. No, okay. Yeah, fifth year now. Okay. So the first year I made 400 kilo mm -hmm. and used half a year to sell it. Yeah. <laughs> and now, but now I'm making cheese for three different farmers. That's including my parents. And now I probably make eight tons, and the the other farmers is still calling. So that's in. worth saying as well that actually you you make cheese on your on your parents' farm, but you also work as a freelance cheesemaker. And are you presumably making a similar style cheese elsewhere? Or yeah, all all the all the cheeses I make is made in my facility, and and. Uh, the same style is the same procedure in all the cheeses I make. Okay, so it's like um, a yeah. cooperative. Yeah. People bring the milk to the cheesemaker, and then yeah. and then they take a share of the profits, or no, do you just they, buy the milk? They from take them? the profits. They they pay me for the job. I see. So I do the I do the making, the storing, the packing, okay. and they sell it. Okay. But they pay me for making 
the, doing the work. So it's their cheese and sure. their sales. But uh, we, we try to, because we're a small community, we try to make a difference. So one farmer, he only delivers milk from summer when he's high up in the mountains and the cows is outside grassing. And the other farmer, he makes more from the winter milk because he got like a typical Gouda type of cheese and he got one that he cold smoke. So he smoked like under 15 degrees. Mm. And he got one with uh, cumin seeds because that's really popular in Norway. Yes, sure. <laughs> it's delicious. So you have three, three types of cheeses from the same recipe, basically. So just to go back a little bit to the, to the summer farm, mm. it's something I'm really interested in because it's not, you know, our climates are so different. Yeah. And the way that we farm is so different. When when you say you go up the mountain, obviously the animals go up the mountain to the pasture. But are you are you are you moving your life up there? Are you are you living up there, or are you traveling? You kind of a commuting, if you like, from the home farm. No, we li- we live there. Okay. Because uh, uh, now all in my, in my uh, we're we're six six cheesemakers in in one group here in Bergen now, and all us six is living except one is living up there in summer. Okay. One is up and down every day. Uh, the other one lives there all year round. Wow. <laughs> she got 19 goats and lives there all year round. And the third one, she only hires cows in summertime and lives up there in summer and do the tourism and cheese making stuff in summertime. And uh, she, she don't, don't have a farm in winter. She was a farmer before. Okay. She just keep the tradition in the family going in summers. So that's quite a... Yeah, that's quite a kind of mobile existence in a sense, because you know the, the the tradition of the home farm. In so, for example, a few weeks ago, I was with Mary Quick, who makes cheddar in Devon. Yeah, you know, in the home farm, they've been on in that, on that farm on that land since the early 16th century, and you know, but that's the pasture is the pasture. They're not travelling up and down or, no. or changing their entire, you know, moving their life. Yeah, because we live quite good in the wintertime and in summertime you don't have electricity, you don't have water, you, you got you got the toilet is a hole in the ground. <laughs> yeah, well exactly, around. you're constantly on the move yeah. and you're following the pasture and presumably yeah. the you know the quality of the milk with the high, you know, the sort of higher yeah, ground. It's, it's different. Yeah. Uh, I, I got something Oh, ah, okay, well let's have a try of that. The, the brown cheese production is moving with the herd. We need fresh milk for that one. So when, when the family moves, the goats moves up, up in the mountain, then the brown cheese production is moving with them. So okay. we're boiling it up there. Right, and then moving it back down to town when we go back home. Here, here is the the second one is just the same, but if you see on the color, this one have like a pinkish color. Yes. And this one got the greenish color. Yes. It's, it's interesting for me to yeah, say yeah. because I'm colorblind. No, I can see that. There's a, it, I mean, it is the faintest of hues, but and it's quite hard to tell under these particular lights. But actually, if you put them next to one another, there is. It's almost a, it's almost blue actually. It's a slightly and when I say blue, I don't mean in terms of blue cheese, but it's a, a bluish hue, and the other one is much, yeah, much pinker. Because the, the interesting thing is that I got so surprised when I opened this cheese the first time, because this is from the summer milk when the goats is outside mm-hmm. up in the mountain, and I got so surprised because I was so used to it being either pink or white, and I opened it and it was uh, it was suddenly uh, was suddenly green, and this is made exactly the same way, just milk from a different area. Same maturity, slightly younger. Mm, this one is, um, let's see, this last summer. Okay, so summer 2000. More like 15, 15 months, maybe. <laughs> He's giving out samples. <laughs> they need to be bribed. <laughs> I mean, it, 
it's grassy. Yeah, it's a totally different cheese. Yeah. Made the same way. Like I normally say, this one we control what the goats eat, so we mm. have control of the taste. This one they choose themselves. Yeah, it's, it's wilder. <laughs> what I really like about this is that you're, you're using someone else's method to make, and actually you're doing it quite to the letter. And, and as you said yourself, you've not, you've not developed it from that original recipe because it works and it makes a good, consistent cheese. But what I think is really interesting and is kind of reflective of your background on a farm is that actually... The, it's the milk doing the talking. It's the milk doing the change within the cheese. Yeah, because my way of looking at I'm educated chef and pastry chef. Worked as a chef for many years. Okay. I'm a pastry chef. And, and my way of looking at it when I started making uh, this type of cheeses was that my only job is not to ruin the good milk. Yeah. Because if I get good milk, I just need to preserve that good milk and mm. not destroy it. Mm. If I get bad milk, I can't do anything. So <laughs> then the cheese will be bad anyway. So that's interesting. So you were a pa- how long were you a pastry chef for? Was that your? That was for longest. Was uh, I think I was for six or seven years. Okay. And and what brought you back? Just. Oh, my pa- parents were all, was overworked. Okay. <laughs> so my uh, my conscience brought me back. <laughs> okay, the dutiful son. Well, you're making a delicious product, and it is really interesting because you've not. It's not a style that is. So it's not bells and whistles. It's not fancy. It's not showing off the cheesemaker's art. It, it's really reflective of. The, the quality of the milk. I yeah. think that's really interesting. Because uh, what, what I really wanted to do is to show that goat cheese doesn't need to be like hard goaty, mm. like a really strong goaty taste, because everyone thought so in Norway. So I, I wanted to show that you can also make like good goat cheese that you can use every day that yeah. doesn't uh, scare people. Because mm. we, we're used to quite weak cheeses in Norway. Because uh, we, we have like the most sold cheese in Norway kind of doesn't taste much at all no but there, there is like a younger generation and there is some young that start their own business also but a lot of a lot of the children from those other cheesemakers they come back and join in and mm. and because uh, many of us is is like grown up with that type of life making cheese and but it's just uh it's now sort of becoming i guess part of uh, the national consciousness in a way that people are accepting it on a, on a perhaps that they're, lo- they're more demanding as a consumer so they want a more complex product or is that still a battle for you no it's easier since uh, World Cheese Awards San Sebastian 2016 then Tingwall Tingwallost won the yeah they won the World Cheese Awards and they got the was it, was it Master of Cheese uh, yes awards also mm. and uh, with uh, the cheese Kraftkar and uh, that lifted the whole cheesemaker community and it inspired uh, consumers to, to try different types of cheeses. Because the Tingwall is great people. Because when they won, they were, they were just bragging about, yeah, the reason why we can do this is because Norway has good milk. So then people start to think, it's like, Norway got good milk. Maybe we should try some other Norwegian cheeses and tests. So sales on for us small small uh, handcraft cheesemakers uh, has gone skyrocketing the last years people are more interested there like this evening now later i'm going to have have a cheese and beer tasting with uh, cheese from my village uh, combined with handcraft cheese from another village so people are starting to like focusing more on on handcraft and mm. they want to pay more for for getting proper products the the stories and mm. where are they why does the cheese taste like this why is your cheese different than the other one you want to taste one more or? love to <laughs> i'd love to ch- taste one more 
this one have a quite long story. Okay. Because this this one is called the priest. This is a cheese I made for my local priest in town. Because uh, we have we have that type of old what we call potato priest in Norway. The priest uh, uh, walked around in the country and was preaching the potato as the as the main food source. Okay. Because we didn't have much food in Norway, potato is easy to grow and, and uh, gives a lot of stomach fill. So we call him potato priest because they were traveling around. So our priest, he does that with cheese. When he's out traveling in, around in Norway, he's a really liberal young priest, really mm. awesome. <laughs> he brews beer also. Okay. <laughs> so it's cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, so when he travels around in Norway, he preaches about the cheeses from his hometown and his cheese makers. So we, we thought that, yeah, he, he needs his own cheese. Absolutely. Obviously. Sounds so, like it. So we asked him, yeah, what type of cheese do you like? Yeah, I like this, uh, this uh, matured cream cheeses from goat milk, like, like the other cheese maker makes. I was like, oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the guy three kilometers from yeah. me. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> so then, then we made a different type of that one, pasteurized uh, type of that cheese. I got forks. Okay, I'll, I'll take the... Uh, <laughs> You're afraid of the microphone. <laughs> Just give you back both your, both your hands. Okay. So this one is quite young okay. and creamy. Oh, wow. It's just So it has developed a bit of a rind, but it, it's, I mean, so you attack that with a very flimsy-looking plastic fork and it's just, just fallen away. I feel sorry for the cheese with the fork. <laughs> Again, that amazing milk. Really creamy. Little kind of lactic tang. That's really delicious, but so much creamier than I'm used to. I mean, in the UK, but but seriously, <laughs> I mean, my, my first thing I'd go for if I was describing a young, fresh style goat's cheese in the UK is it's, is it sort of, you know, uh, it, well, very fresh, very zesty, quite a lot of citrus notes, that kind of thing, that kind of classic Loire, mm. French goat's cheese. This is super creamy. Uh, yeah, and almost like a fresh cow's milk. Yeah. Cheese. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, really it, it doesn't, unusual. It doesn't have that goatiness to it. No, no, there isn't. Uh, and that's what I'm. I think there's a faint tang, but in, yeah. in not just in a way of identifying it itself. No. It's not. Um, you know, I don't get. Don't listeners don't get confused with the <laughs> Billy Goat's Gruff. It's not there at all. It's just that little faint muskiness, which I really yeah. find delicious. That is really good. So this is the priest. This is the priest. Yeah. I, I'm glad to have met the priest. Yeah. That's a delicious cheese. He's a nice guy. So, so Tim, what's the future because obviously you've worked really hard to develop these amazing really delicious cheeses and i'm kind of hoping i bump into some of them tomorrow <laughs> then we've got the last one <laughs> yeah ah we've got one more here we go ah here we are i, I saved it for dessert so this is the very idiosyncratic yetost that is totally associated with Norway. I think if it, at a push, if a Brit could name a, a Norwegian cheese, it would be, it would be this. Ah, oh, here we are. So the Dutch slice <laughs> for the Yetost. Yet, yait in Norwegian is goat. So you, you basically call it goat cheese, but you can make it from cow milk. Yeah. Okay. So, so Yetost is just goat's cheese. That's yeah. all it means. Yeah. Okay. East, so we've been eating Yetost. Yeah. Okay. All the time. Right. <laughs> but east in Norway, they call it yaitost. Okay. If, if it's brown, it's yaitost. But it's quite confusing when it contains cow milk. When you come here and invest in Bergen area, then it goes more over to calling it brown cheese or brown goat cheese. And what's that in Norwegian? Brunost. Brunost. Brunjeitost is uh, is the brown goat cheese. Okay. So it's 
waxed with a honeybee wax on the outside here. This is made traditionally. So it's uh, so the wax on the outside is yeah is that kind of beautiful golden honey yeah the honeybee wax, and you're stripping that away and beneath it is, well I mean it is unmistakably brown. I mean it is. So it's all it's like caramel that's just on the verge of burning. I mean it's, it's it's fudge, you know yeah. fudge. Yeah. yeah. Pastry chef. Yeah right sorry <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's fudge, and the consistency is, is like fudge. It's got that s very faintly granular, but just very smooth. When I present, when I, when I go to markets and present brown cheese to, to customers abroad, mm. I, I first present it as, as brown cheese, and then I explain them that in Norway we call it cheese, but it is basically a milk caramelish, because mm. it's... It's boiled down way and cream. There's no fermentation. Pro is there a fermentation process at all? No. No. Okay. Because the the clue to our brown cheese, you feel it's really, it's actually really sweet and mild, mm. milky taste. Mm. Because uh, when my father is milking the goats, I'm inside there and receiving the milk, and I start uh, separating out the cream from the milk right away, and I start heat treat, uh, heating it right away, so there is no lactic acids or anything going no. on. No. It's like the milk is basically not older than one hour before they're done with the milking i already halfway done with the, the uh, separating the milk and then it's i take some of the the whey proteins and stuff out and how would you serve that i mean is that a, it's not a ta it's not a table cheese in the way that these are you wouldn't have that on a cheese board oh yes we're, we're working on it ah, okay <laughs> we want we want the branches to get the same respect it's typically a typically a sandwich cheese no norwegians love sweet and salt yeah so we eat it with like strawberry jam or oh. And newly baked bread. Wow. <laughs> Getting hungry. <laughs> yeah. It's really good. Honestly, I didn't expect, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah, I had all these images in my head and it's... Because this, this is the traditional handcraft way of doing it. Yeah. There, there is loads, I'm not saying this is the right, right way because there are so many different traditions doing it. Mm. But this is one of those that is boiled in open pan by open fire, hand stirring and... So this one takes quite a lot of work. I yeah. even, you see there are small air holes inside because I'm, I'm knitting it by hand like mm. a bread dough, putting it in molds, molding it overnight. And then we're smoothing the side with a knife, butter knife, to make it smooth so the, the, the wax won't like uh, make small holes and stuff. Mm. Tim, thank you so much for meeting me and bringing these delicious cheeses. I really... I really enjoyed trying them and, and yeah, I really enjoyed meeting you and hearing about your business. It's fantastic. And look forward to seeing you tomorrow at the World Cheese Awards. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. So thanks again to Tim for bringing those delicious cheeses and sharing some of his story with us on the Fine Food Podcast. Next time, we're actually stepping away from cheese and heading into the world of charcuterie. So join us in a couple of weeks for the Fine Food Podcast. The Fine Food Podcast is produced by Salomon and Michael Lane of Fine Food Digest. It's edited and presented by me, Sam Wilkin. If you want to know more about the Guild of Fine Food, go to gff.co.uk and check out Salomon Sam on Twitter and Instagram.